With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Wheel of Time Spoilers Podcast. Your hosts are Seth Jacobson and Patrick Heiler. Are we recording? I see myself recording. That's good. All right. Why is that? I miss saying that. Not not super important because we really wanted to capture just like what was happening here at Jordan Con. It's awesome that there's a bunch of people hanging out in the room. Live studio audience. Yeah, live studio audience. <laughs> so we just wanted to do a short little interview. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but we're all at Jordan Con here for people who are audio only. And we were super fortunate to run into you, Mr. Denzel. And can can I have you introduce yourself again? I am Brad Kane. I am a screenwriter. In particular, I am a interactive screenwriter, meaning I write for games. Awesome. And what do you do at Jordan Con? I can tackle this one. So uh, this is Jason Dudzel from DragonMount.com. It's second time being on your guys' show, and I'm so glad that I'm here again. We're stoked to have you, man. Yeah, seriously. We love what you did on the first class. That was like two hours of bliss. When we got to interview the last time, it was just fantastic. We really appreciate it. I'm looking it. forward to a three-hour yeah. interview right now. This is, is going to be fantastic. Let's do so, it. Let's do it. So um, uh, Brad here, um, who has some fantastic credentials in the media and writing business, but funny story is that Brad and I met in line. Did we figure out what year this was? We recently did this. It was like 15, 16 years ago. Yeah, 2000. So yeah, so 16 years ago, we wow. met in line at a Robert Jordan book signing in Half Moon Bay, California. And I don't know what it was, but we're like the biggest geeks in line. And we just started talking and we haven't really stopped talking about the wheel time 16 or 17 years later. We've maintained that friendship. Yeah. And kind of a, a big part of that was about 10 years ago now, there was a, there was a phase in the, uh, the Red Eagle Universal Pictures part of the franchise history when they were they were kind of working to try to get a green light from the studio and they needed kind of needed creative support to kind of push the thing from you know a, 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 an IP that they'd bought and kind of invested into something that they thought might be able to become a set of movies and Jason and I ended up doing a lot of work with the studio and with the com- some of the production companies involved to kind of try to push that thing forward and and I guess prove that the Wheel of Time could be a major media franchise, even though that process didn't lead to the movies per se. I think it was kind of a, a big part of the, the cinematic history of the franchise, as it were. Yeah, definitely. And I think there. I think we ended up doing a, a couple different things. It was one part, as, as you said, it was trying to validate the idea that we could actually that we that the series could be converted because back then it was you know, said like, you can't do that. You can't do that. It's too big. The series is too big to convert. It just can't be done. And we were kind of on the forefront of saying, well, actually, yeah, we think it can be done. And here are some specific ideas on maybe how to do it. Now that question is being said, asked a lot less these days because they're looking at TV where, you know, there's suddenly a lot more time. I was going to say, how has Game of Thrones affected that question? Yeah. I mean, I think that Game of Thrones has 
changed the equation in a big way for TV. HBO has gone from, I mean, when Game of Thrones landed on HBO, it was because HBO was this quality programmer, and now HBO relies on Game of Thrones. I mean, their their future is based on setting up three or four Game of Thrones spinoffs. So I think at the time, it was like Harry Potter was was a big deal, and they were doing things like The Golden Compass, and it seemed like film was the place for these big fantasy franchises, partly because of the big budgets that you needed to be able to pull off the special effects. Now we've seen that you can do that on TV. Game of Thrones has really been the... The, the proof of that. And I think that everyone uh, realizes, and Marvel's been a part of that too, that you're actually going to have a lot more power to tell a big story and kind of go into all the, the subplots and the pieces of the narrative that you need to explore to kind of do it well and you, through TV. Let's put some more precise dates on this. was like 2009, 2009. And I know that because I was about to leave the country for a year, uh, which is something that my wife and I do every seven or eight years. And I was on the way out the door to India when you called me and said, uh, hey, I think Red Eagle wants us to work on this this thing. And I was like, oh, <laughs> shit, I'm going to literally be in an ashram with my head shaved for the next year. How do we do this? Um, turn around. Yeah, come back. <laughs> did he turn, turn around to come back? Uh, well, it's funny, actually. Uh, we did a lot of this work remotely. I was living in Bali for a good chunk of 2010, and we would get on the phone me and Jason and Larry Mondragon, who's one of the two principals at Red Eagle. And we would have our, our creative calls kind of in this multi-time zone thing. Quick um, question. Is that his real name? I think it's an amazing coincidence if it is. Really? It, it definitely, it is most definitely his real actual name. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh-huh. Yeah, we were actually, so we did a quick watching session of The Winter Dragon uh, before we came to the party and commented on it. And I can imagine you... Uh, Chuckling, <laughs> <laughs> but it was so good. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You don't understand. Uh, so I, I was, I was hoping to get your opinion on the Winter Dragon. Yeah, look, from my perspective, the Winter Dragon is exactly what it was intended to be, which was something just barely passable enough to keep the rights. You know, I, I don't think anyone involved with it thought they were trying to make something good. And if anyone did think that, I would encourage them to get in touch so we can have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's out there. That leads me right into my second question. We're at a convention, and it's nighttime. I just wanted to ask you guys, what are you drinking? At the moment, we are drinking um, a cheap beer that we ran to the liquor store for an hour ago and picked up in bulk for the uh, DragonMount.com 20th birthday party that we were just <laughs> throwing and ran into you at and said, like, oh, hey, you guys are recording. Yeah, let's go do it. My voice is totally gone from talking. All, Excellent all answer. Yeah, you were yelling over a crowd for a bit there. <laughs> we had a, um, a Wheel of Time spelling bee, and that is, especially after the drinks have been flowing a little bit, it went exactly as I had hoped. <laughs> By the way, I'll throw it right out there. I spelled merge roll wrong. So that was the word that, like, oddly enough, that 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 was the word that surprisingly stumped the most people. Like, we thought we, you know, it was going to be Avendesel Eldora or whatever, you know, and uh, but that one kind of, yeah, Avendesora, and uh, we thought that one would stump people, but it was Miradrill actually. Maybe that's just a testament to the fact that we had cheap beer from the liquor store flowing everywhere. I was amazed how few words we got right as a group like for some people who claim to be big big wheel of times fans we cannot spell the words in that book 
as a group of people who flew here as if that's the only testament of their dedication to come to just the Jordan Con still couldn't spell old tongue words. Well, you know, some of it might have had to do with the fact that, you know, there's there's a spotlight and there's 50 people looking at you and cheering you on and going, that's come true. on. Yeah. And then also, you know, some people listen to it on audiobooks. Maybe that's their excuse. I don't know. That's my excuse. <laughs> Well, we were talking about the show production a bit, and I like I, I was going to save that for later, but do you guys know, any, is there any news? There's lots of speculation and rumors that like in 2016, some news came out, and in 2017, some news came out. Is anything no, new known this year? Everybody wants to know, I got to ask. Yeah, the, the latest I've seen is that, gosh, what's officially out there? We know that Rafe is show running the show. It's been out there for a while. Yeah, Rafe Judkins, for those who may not have heard the name before. Yeah, we say we say it like we're on first name basis with him. I'm, I'm happy to get the. I don't even know if it's pronounced. Actually, Rafe. 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 I've heard Rafe. I've heard I've heard Rafe. I've, I, Rafe slash Rafe. If you're listening, so sorry, man. Like we're, we're just we're we can't we can't spell Miradrill and we can't Rafe, pronounce your name. If so. you're listening to this right now, come on the show, dude. <laughs> Clear this um, up. Uh, yeah, it sounds like there has been development work. Certainly some writing has taken place. I- we mostly asked because there was an announcement last year. Yeah, and so usually those announcements come at JordanCon at the Team Jordan panel, which is really where we get Harriet up on stage and put a microphone in her face and <laughs> ask her. And so um, that that panel happened earlier today, and I moderated it, and we got Harriet up in front of everyone, put a microphone in her face, and I asked her, Okay, Harriet, I have a whole lot of questions about, you know, what it was like to work with Robert Jordan and everything, but there are 10,000 people asking on a daily basis on Facebook, could you please answer with more than just one word, kindly, you know, what is the status of the the Wheel of Time TV show? And so she, there isn't a lot that is public or that anyone really knows from, from our side. Everything, it feels a little bit like the calm before the storm. Um, she alluded to the fact that, yeah, you know, she has, um, she said she had seen a script, right? Or, yeah, she, yeah, so she's seen a script, um, but we don't know what. That is a, that's something. A, a presumably written, you know, by, by Rafe and a. I'll just say what's interesting about that, and this is pure speculation, but it seems very likely that this show, whatever sort of uh, platform it streams on, is going to be the kind of show that delivers a season at a time rather than starts with a pilot and then goes from pilot to a show order. So if there's a script, it makes you wonder, is there a season script? Have they had enough work, uh, enough time to develop 10 episodes? Um, are they starting with a pilot? So these are just questions, but it's, it's interesting to kind of put those two together. Well, and from Rafe's Instagram, we've seen him working pretty heavily on The Great Hunt in terms of the book is pretty worn. So I know just speculation, we're kind of hoping that the first season is built of uh, book one and two. I think that's a, that's a, it's an interesting point, you know, and something that we dealt with a lot when we were working with Universal was there was a desire from the studio at that time to kind of not think about the first movie and the first book as being equal, but to look at kind of the first chunk of narrative and think how to Take some of the excitement, especially the second book, where I think a lot of people agree that the kind of the series starts to come into its own own a little bit more, and uh, you know, not make the audience wait, but you know, how to mix it up a bit and and tell the story in in a way that maybe it's not completely linear to the to the book order, but totally and tell the story in less than thirteen thousand pages or whatever. Well, there's that. Yeah. Yeah. 
And and that's something that I think we don't envy Rafe Jenkins and trying Judkins oh, yeah. and trying to put together. I think that's that's a hard hard task. No that, matter what you do, people are going to be upset. Basically, you're going to have to cut scenes if you skip anything, and you have to skip something if you're going to if you're going to have any kind of mass appeal. I I always assumed. You got to skip things. There's going to be, you know, compression, you know, restructuring and something else that was interesting. I was just down talking to Alan a little while ago about this is, you know, and think about this as fans of the, of the books, you know, we've got a room full of fans here. Would you want a show whose, whose progression and whose beats you, you know, ahead of time, or do you want to be surprised? You know, do you want to see something that, that, that veers intentionally from the books for the sake of kind of changing up your experience the way that uh, The Walking Dead does. If you if people are familiar with the comics, the creators of that show have intentionally changed the, the show so that the, the fan base can universally be surprised by who lives and who dies. I, I feel you and I get the reference and I really like the way that you're putting that because honestly, you know, now that the, the Wheel of Time series is done and we're, we're I had already kind of like surrendered, like I'm never going to get any more content. It's never going to happen. And to, so to see the, that there might be a show, even to just get a new exploration of the same universe would be really fun. And I would, you know, I would really enjoy it. I think probably everyone here at Jordan, we're all going to watch it. Let's face it. Even if it's terrible, we're going to watch it. And we're really hoping it's not terrible. <laughs> and we're going to dissect it and talk about a Jordan con for every year, for years to come. For, forever. You know, I mean, they, um, when we were, when Brad and I were working with, uh, talking a lot with Universal and kind of trying to, one of our other tasks was to kind of, again, like really spot, put a spotlight on the reasons why this series is worth kind of pursuing it and, and worth their time and investing in. And so we, you know, talked a lot about where it, I mean, they had, of course, the studio has all the statistics and everything else, but you know, they, they wanted our perspective on things. And at the time there was the Lord of the Rings, which, you know, was coming out of, gosh, it was, I guess it was ramping up into the, uh, into the Hobbit movies. And it was right around that time, but it, it was still, you know, those years was still, you know, Hollywood was riding the high of the the triumph of, you know, the, the first original Lord of the Rings movies. And so there was the Lord of the Rings and there was Harry Potter and then Game of Thrones was ramping up. And so even Twilight, which was big at the time, you know, looking at all the big major book franchises were all like kicking butt in Hollywood. And then the Holly, and then there's the Wheel of Time, which is the, and still is the big Titanic franchise that's just, untapped onto the screen yet and um i wonder yeah. if that's been part of the problem i can i found myself comparing i forget who i was talking to or what the conversation was about but i found myself comparing just a couple hours ago the lord of the rings to a memory of light and that could because they're about as long there's about as much information <laughs> <laughs> but the whole series essentially i mean i suppose you can include some of the like semerillion and and, and whatever but they certainly did in the hobbit <laughs> how do you condense all that you know how how do you um well I, so if you can make uh however many films they made out of the lord of the rings out of a few couple hundred page novels what do you do with huge universe like the wheel of time how long do you keep it going for how do you even I, that's, go about that's that? the you know hundred million dollar question right yeah it really is yeah I, I feel like that may be why nobody has touched it yet <laughs> or, or such an such an undertaking, you know, it, it takes the the right people and the right you know um, team to kind of get together. And um, and I don't say that you know disparagingly at all to anyone who has, has been involved in this very long process. But you know, it it you know takes 
the right people you got and it takes time to find those people and it takes time to you know get the right vision and million things in place you know a, a, a single a, an ordinary tv show takes years to come to the screen and that's you know for take the handmaid's tale based on a book it, it it's not you know shorter book shorter gestation period it still can be five seven years to get this thing to um to the screen so you look at the wheel of time and this is something that's going to take years to start the project kind of uh, you know the production and get it out there but then there's there's kind of an implicit maybe 10 years or more you know process of actually writing it and producing it so it's this is a multi-decade endeavor for whatever creative team ultimately you know carries it all the way and i think it's uh and it, and it's also a, a huge financial investment for whatever studio does it because there's there's no cheap wheel of time. So I'm I'm not surprised that there's been so many false starts. What do you think the earliest possible time that we're going to see it on the screen is? Mm, hard to say. Yeah, I'm shrugging. Yeah, <laughs> just a shrug. Okay, fair enough. That's that's totally what I expected. From, <laughs> that's a fair answer. I mean, Brad and I, since we have been involved or just around any of this stuff happening i mean it's for 10 years we've heard that it's going to happen in the next year so you know <laughs> we'll we'll see yeah, i mean hollywood does have kind of the machine to put something together fast if we were tomorrow to wake up to the news that you know whatever just for example hulu had made a deal with sony and radar and that this thing was happening and they were going into production in june you could get a show on the air in 2019 you know, but that's the earliest possible. It could be much, that, much later. That was the answer I was looking for. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit more about JordanCon. Like, I'd, uh, the speculation on the TV show is wonderful, and I, I can do it all day. But uh, the experience really has been coming to this hotel. And for me, it's a first-time thing. And I know you guys are on your 10-year anniversary, which is fantastic. And I just want to ask a few questions about, like, you know, uh, what, what do you really enjoy doing at JordanCon? What really, like, what about JordanCon makes you happy and what do you enjoy? What's your favorite event? That's Easily that, I don't want to say there's one single event. I mean, it is hands down the heart of JordanCon is coming here and meeting fans and meeting people and, you know, um, meeting you guys face to face and meeting our, the people in this room, studio audience, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, just getting a chance to see uh, all the costumes and meet all the writers and, you know, go and uh, help, you know, new and up and coming aspiring writers as part of the, the, the writing track and just being involved in the mix and doing late room, you know, late night room parties and late night hotel room recordings. I promised you that it would take five minutes. You've been recording for 20. Thank you. I'm going to let you get back to drinking. Thanks for having us. I was really Nope. You know, we're happy to let's do this again sometime. I'd love to, you know, do another recording session with you. 20 minutes flies by pretty quickly. It really does. Taishar Jordan Khan. Yeah. Taishar Jordan Khan. No. It's two o'clock at <laughs> Jordan Khan and it's still going. <laughs> and it's going far. Wow. Well, People typical, are partying in Typical there? of Jordan Khan. This is our first year, so we didn't really know what to expect. Uh, yeah, that's why I was mentioning that you guys sort of took a leap of faith coming here. <laughs> fans of the books but you don't know i mean it's been a ton of fun good yeah good it's uh interesting i mean the first one we didn't know what to expect the the family we were pretty excited first one was well 10 years ago 10 years ago you know what what, oh well it was in it was 2008 was shortly after jim died in or, or robert jordan when jim died in on september 16th 2007 
I uh, well, okay. I got I got a call early that Sunday morning to beat feet to Charleston. And, you guys were very close. Well, yeah, uh, brother cousin. Okay, but I and I and I I I got to him. And, well, I I made record time getting from Charlotte to Charleston, and when I got in the room, he was he he was pretty much already. It, it wasn't a good scene. Okay, and sure, uh, well. But I, I got on him. Well, we're brothers, and I, I got on him right then, and I said, you missed my freaking birthday because <laughs> it was two days before. And uh, But anyway, so it was only a few months later that, that Jen and the, Jennifer Lang, the Yang that started this gave Harriet, myself, and a call. And I, I told them right then that they didn't want me there. They wanted... Harriet for sure, but they definitely needed Maria. And who is uh, Maria? Maria Simmons was uh, Maria Simmons and Alan Romanchak are Team Jordan. Gotcha. Who worked for Robert Jordan in? So they in worked the super close with him for a long time. Correct. All right. Uh, Maria is the encyclopedia, if you will. She's got it all in her head. Alan's the timeline guy for for the books and kept it running on. You know, he would say, Jim, you can't move an army from here to there in that short amount of time. The logistics are, are you know, you, you just can't do it. Okay. Yeah. Right. How closely did Robert Jordan, Jim, work with while he was writing the books? How many, is, he had those two assistants, and were they with him all the time? No, was, no. Uh, I mean, the, the, the Eye of the World came out in 1990. Maria joined him in 1996. Uh, understand that most writers are starving artists. Okay. Sure. So when when he started the books, they weren't paying the bills. Is that where Mr. Rigney was at when he was a young guy in 1990? Yeah. Well, they weren't they weren't paying the bills. It was book three that it started to pay the bills. Gotcha. Okay. And he called me after the tour on book three and said. I think this is going to work. I, I think we're going to be able to make a go of this. That's very exciting. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, it was. Then a few books later, he called me and he said, you know, that tour just paid me in advance. And I won't say the number, but it was a pot. Not necessary. It was a potload of money. Right? <laughs> and we were yeah. raised we were raised as poor kids. And so when he said what the number was, he said, do you believe this? <laughs> I said, Bubba, that'll buy a lot of fish bait. Let's go. <laughs> uh, let's go. Oh, that yeah. is wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> that's re- that reminds me of my own childhood in, in, in a way anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so at any rate, so this convention, when it started, we kind of thought, well, that's nice, but maybe it's a one-off thing kind of. And if you ask Jennifer and James, they'd tell you the same thing. They, they didn't know whether there would be a, a two I heard them talk about it earlier, and, and she said that the only reason he let her do it is because he was convinced it would be a one-off, and she'd get it out of her system. Well, that right. It, yeah. <laughs> and now they're stuck doing it for the rest a- of their lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I guess we were at two or maybe three during the opening ceremony, and Harriet leaned in close to me and whispered, this is great, but do you think there'll be another and I said, well, they seem to be passionate about it. Let's see what happens. 
That is really, I have to say, fascinating to hear it from the kind of, I don't want to call it the opposite perspective, but it's sort of the opposite perspective where, you know, I found these novels as a young man and I took a lot of meaning and life lessons out of what these characters were learning and and kind of like what we were talking about just a just a minute ago where I you know I grew up as a young poor kid I really didn't have any resources I did not graduate high school I'm being really straight up right now and I went out and went to work for myself to survive and I found these books and these lessons and themes and they meant a lot to me and I I really drew a lot away from it and it's very interesting to hear you talk about it as a very for lack of a better term like human perspective from this like just a very human man uh, it probably sounds ridiculous to you but well what yeah you put took so much the away same from, way all of us did. yeah 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 i took so much away from what he wrote well jim was a voracious reader i mean he was voracious i mean he, he absorbed I mean, he didn't read, he absorbed. It, it's, re- reading would be an understatement. Um, and it, it, you maybe heard me today in another uh, session say that while he was at the height of his reading or writing, he was still reading a book a day. A book a day? A book a day. Okay. I mean, he was that fast. And his comprehension was beyond belief. So, uh, yeah, that is uh, far beyond my ability. And, it takes and me on, a week. on top of it, it, there was a friend of his, military friend of his, Mike Ford, who he used as a, a resource to read. And, and Mike was in, even faster. Forgive me, he served in, him. what was it, Army? Right, Army Vietnam. He was an 11 Bravo Vietnam. ground pounder infantryman. Gotcha. But when he got to Vietnam, they realized he had a brain. So they made him the company Uh-oh. clerk, <laughs> and he hated it. And much like Radar O'Reilly in MASH, he figured out there, there was this new MOS, military occupational specialty, that was being developed for door gunner on the Hueys. Uh, and he wrote up an application for it, stuffed it in the stack of papers for the company commander to sign, and before he knew what he had done, he had already transferred Jim out of the unit. Every picture you see of Jim, he had... Uh, glasses on his vision sucked i mean it really sucked <laughs> yeah and, and he's one, got those bottle coke glasses they're so go. obvious in the pictures but one of the requirements of a door gunner and a huey was being able to see and they had a vision test and and he he took so he shows up and uh and they're they're giving him the physical for the for the uh test and the corpsman pointed out the in realizing what what he had with him that the guy couldn't see much pointed out the chart and said, I've got to leave the room and you don't memorize this thing while I'm gone, (laughs) which he did. That's that's (laughs) for real. Yes. Which he did. (laughs) Yeah. So that's how he, that's how he ended up as a a door gunner. Anyway, that, so is Vietnam played into his books though, because how's that? Well, in the, uh, because he had been there. I don't think you can read Dumais Wells without picturing a gunner, right? As opposed to an Ashaman, right? Like the 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 explosion that makes Dumais Wells so sure. intense. Sure, but 
I I wonder what your perspective is. How how did that play in? How did that affect his um, perspective? And well, in in the the two weeks before he died, he started telling me the end of the books. Okay, and uh, we things that he had not put in the notes at this point, and and uh, he was buttoning it up, if you will. And uh-huh. so I, I I purchased a tape recorder and we started putting it on it. And to give you an idea. When he, when he got into the point of some combat, he started for a moment to discuss the how, how things were set up, the, the set piece, how okay. it began. But then he said, but once it starts, it's a free-for-all. I don't know where it'll go because it's, when you get into that furball of a fight, things just happen. Sure. So his writing would would follow that same line. It, and I didn't have that experience. So peop, people, unless you've had that experience, you can't write about it. No, of course. You know, he'd been in the middle of it. And this was only not too terribly long after he had served. Like- oh, no, no, no. He, he, he served in the late 60s into early 70s. Okay, so the books were much much later, but but they they it's still imprinted on him. Okay, They're, sure. The two names that he had, one he was kind of proud of. One nicknames. One was Ganesh, which is the Hindu god of good luck and good fortune. Yeah, and the the guys in his unit referred to him as that because hit the ships that he were on the the Hueys he was on always came back at the end of the day. He was never shot down. Shot up, but never shot down. The other one he didn't like as much. They called him Iceman. I have heard that one before. Well, there was he, he gained that nickname. They were coming back at the end of a day, and they caught the VC crossing a river. And he almost melted the gun tube on an M60, laying fire down as the Huey circled. And they they counted several hundred bodies in the river. That's my understanding. That was not not common at the time, but these guns could overheat, and you had to well, they would change pour, out the pour water on them. Yeah, no, you, no, it wouldn't ch- pour water. But uh, the gunners had as, asbestos mittens. The oh, M60 Christ. weighed not that I know, but the M60 weighed twenty three pounds. Before you loaded, Just to it. unbolt this thing, and you yeah. change the, well, the tubes. Well, with a quick disconnect, you pull the tube and you put another one in, and right back you go. Rate of fire was 600 rounds per minute, um, and he was there was circling and he was laying, and it was just the job, and he didn't have any emotion about it. So well, they labeled him as the Iceman. And, and that's very he, interesting. He, but it did affect him, but not outwardly that they could see. So Seth and I have talked about this quite a bit. Uh, uh, on on the podcast before where Robert Jordan had quite a bit of war experience and his the characters in his series had quite a bit of war experience and we wonder quite a bit about of course he and I are well PTSD and the general way that that might affect a man and how he acts afterwards so we have like characters like Lan and Ingtar and these like 
tough guys that are easy to look up look up to but once you get into their heads a bit you can kind of see the complexity and the yeah i, I want to say a queen also you know he, he puts it justin's male characters with his female characters that that the trauma that you're talking about is something that may not have been affecting him obviously from the externally but i think that it is built into all of his characters absolutely I think he really understood what was what was happening there, and I think that's part of what makes the story so compelling. This man really understood yes. his characters, yeah. the characters that he built. And to, and to the credit of of Brandon, who finished the work for us, it it wasn't something that he had experienced. Sure, and that's what the and, yeah. and you can see it a little bit in the writing and things that we didn't catch. How do you get? five trebuchets through a very small passage <laughs> i couldn't tell you and when i read it later i went oh we let something this was some of brandon's writing and we went i went oh geez we let something get through we didn't oh i haven't it. i haven't heard anyone in the fan community say anything about the trebuchets you'll now you'll go back and look uh-oh <laughs> i'm not even sure which trebuchets you're referring to is it last battle yeah. stuff okay yeah. All right, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna yeah. see now. Now you 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 give and, me a detail. And, oh, I need to by dig the out. way, you never give up the high ground. And he but did. Matt and, does give up the and, high ground. Oh, it's supposed to be a trick, right? And all I did was hit my forehead on the desk when I read it. I was like, no. <laughs> and Jim would have never given up the high ground. <laughs> that is an interesting. That's interesting perspective. But uh, different ways of looking at things. Okay. But hey, we got into all this war experience stuff and a lot of interesting things in your guys' later years. I don't, I don't know if you served as well, but I did. Um, oh, uh, what, where did you serve? From 1974 through 1979, non-combat. Gotcha. Okay. So I, I, was, I was in the Army. He was a soldier. Oh, well. And my youngest is 31 now. And he served two tours, Afghanistan and Iraq. I, I come from four, gener stuff. four generations of us served, not lifers, but four generations of us served. My grandfather in the trenches and Jim's grandfather also, obviously, yeah, uh, in the trenches in uh, Europe. My father and, and his father in World War II and became buddies. And my father introduced him. His oh. buddy to his, his sister, who's my aunt, Aunt Eva, who's Jim's mother. So that's how you ended up being related. Yes. Oh, that's funny. Uh, and then I served peacetime. Yeah. And then, and then my son served wartime again. But, but I, I suppose what I, I wanted to kind of dissemble and, and ask a bit about your guys' youth and when you, you were young kids and what that was like. And uh, if you could tell us anything, well, whatever you want uh, about it. Jim was a few years older than me, and I don't know if you remember, but the difference I, between I a ten-year-old and a fourteen-year-old—you look up to the guy. He's oh, like, sure. He's older. He's he's more knowledgeable, and he was he was all. My man body came out in my twenties. His came out when he was about twelve. Uh, <laughs> he was a big dude and uh, played played interior line in high school football. Played interior line at Clemson for a year. Played defensive nose tackle for yeah for frank howard and uh, 
and the longest gain across the center of the line when he was playing nose tackle was one yard. The longest gain across the center of the line. Wow. But as brilliant as he was, football was a big distraction, and he was flunking. So he got drafted. Oh, he didn't do terribly well in school. No. I didn't know that. No, he he didn't (laughs) do terribly well in school. And he got himself drafted because he didn't pay attention. I see. And so after after Vietnam and after serving, he went to the Citadel, which is the military college of South Carolina. It's a fairly well-known. Uh, yeah, as yeah. A, but as a day student, and even though there's an age difference between the two of us, we graduated in the same year, 1974. So yeah, oh, I'm nodding. But there he, he excelled as a student because he, well, he's brilliant to begin with. And he, uh, no distractions, he applied himself. But his undergraduate degree was in physics. <laughs> yeah. But he did he always make his living as a writer? No. Oh, no. In, in fact, most writers don't make a living as a writer. <laughs> well, I suppose that's true. He was, he, upon graduation, he took a job for, for the government working at Naval Shipyard and was injured there. You know, not in Vietnam, but had a fall. In the shipyard. Took some, required some rehab and was now rehabbing at his his parents' place and was reading, as he always did, volumes every day. A monstrous amount, it sounds like. And there was a moment where he was reading something that was really horrid. And he... He literally threw it across the room <laughs> and said, I can do better than this, and picked up a notepad and started writing something. That's very interesting. Which is still unpublished to this day. It's, it's on uh, legal pads, and there's a novel <laughs> by Robert Jordan that's never been published. I've been very interested in podcasts since they came out, uh, since they started happening. And I always thought, and when my good friend Seth suggested it to me, I thought, you know, we could do better than a lot of people. I thought we could improve on it. And I suppose we have, you know, we're pretty popular in the fan community. And I'm I'm just relating to your story where Jim, so used to referring to him as Robert Jordan. I know that was a pen name. Right. Where Jim thought he could do better and he just gave it a shot. Oh, he did. He did, and uh, many did do. Uh, he actually picked he did up do better than many. Well, in in a bookstore, Harriet Harriet had actually started her own little publishing company. She had moved back to the Charleston area. Yeah. Now a single mom, uh, divorced, and was looking for writers, and left her card in a bookstore that he happened to frequent. And long story short, he sort of interviewed with Harriet to write some stuff. And oh wow, it took a little while, but and I, and I could go into all the particulars. But a, a year later, basically, he he started writing full time as a starving artist and living on the property in the carriage house, uh-huh. uh, uh, pretty much out of his car. <laughs> wow, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I understand I've, I've been there at points in my own life, but it's just 
someone you look look up to. It's it's funny to see to think of them as Everybody's someone who's been in your self same shoes. Everybody's you know? got to start someplace. Yeah, apparently. Book three or four or five, somewhere in there, he confided in me one day because everybody always thought, you know, he's always been a writer and always doing good. <laughs> and he says to me, "You're the only one that remembers that this isn't the way it's always been." I suppose that's a very good point. He came back from. It was book three, I think. And he calls me, and he had finished the tour, and he was, and he says, "I, I think this is going to work. I, <laughs> I, I, I think I could, I think we're going to be able to make a living at this, you know." And I went great. And after book four, the call went something like, "You know, they're starting to treat me like royalty." I went, "Well, they like your work, Bubba." And he said, "And I'm starting to like it." to being treated like royalty. And I said, I know where you were raised. <laughs> and he said, and it's your job in life to make sure that I never forget it. Good, good. Well, that's, I think that's good for everybody. Yeah. Because I think even <laughs> as much as I would like to relate to him, you know, I took so much of out of his writing that it's easy to put him up. It's easy to forget that he was a man. <laughs> like uh, like all of the rest of us. Well, he, he used to say, tongue-in-cheek, that he was a very humble guy. That there were statues yeah. raised in honor of his humility. <laughs> that seems ironic. Yes. Is that ironic? Yeah. <laughs> a little. A little. A little. He, he, he loved the fact that people loved his work. But he loved his work. It was and beautiful. he would have done it, even if. Can I it... ask? I've wondered. Uh, I've wondered quite a bit how much planning he put into, because things seem to fit so well together over thousands and thousands of pages years. of books, years of planning before before he began. He thought and whittled around in his mind the wheel of time for ten years before he put. One word on paper. It's amazing, especially to me as a young guy who's, you know, I'm 30 years old, not too terribly young, but, uh, you know, I'm a fairly young guy. And it's difficult for me to recall a time when I couldn't put things all down on a computer. But Jim yeah. was writing all this stuff at a time when he had to put it all on paper. He yes. must have had to take a, an incredible amount of notes to put all these things together. <laughs> tons, tons of notes. Um, to, to a lot of these a lot of writes and rewrites thousands and thousands and lot. thousands of pages. Oh, it, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> it was it was stacks and reams, and that's that's why at his passing when when we handed Brandon the so the, this was all notes. on like legal well, pads and well some some of it but it, away. i'm know, sure he got I, more organized well it, it, as times change uh it was legal pads to typewriters to a sure. t to a trs 80 from radio shack with 28k of memory oh those uh, okay. to an apple II with 256k of memory and a a couple of floppy disks. I'm, I'm chuckling because, you know, to me, uh, you know, 
I mean, all this ancient history, but these two small laptops sitting in front of you, in front of us, have uh, my you know, cell phone has that... much more yeah, than that. Sure, right? sure, yeah, right. But and Alan, who is a part of Team Jordan, built at least three different computers for him during, you know, during his time with the team. So it 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 just kept morphing. You know, you you follow the technology. Early on, the books were all on paper. They weren't even digitized. Yeah. And uh, the good news is that Maria found uh, uh, pirated copies where people had shared them, scanned them, uh-huh. and put them online. Scanned the paper. And that's, a, that's yeah, work in itself, right. scanning but a 700 they had, pages. They scanned it. So, sure, sure. So they. Let me see. Team Jordan stole the scanned copies of their own work off of the web and then we call that told sharing. the other people <laughs> to shut it down because it didn't belong to them. I got gotcha. you. Right. Well, yeah. But and it kept it, it kept Maria from having to scan it all. At, at the time, <laughs> that's when, you know, now we just straight straight up call it pirating. But at the time, yeah. that's when that was new and people were alarmed sure. by, that, by sure. the possibility of this. Sure. But you know the intellect. Well, the intellectual property issue is 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 a big deal. Oh yeah, especially for a writer. Yes, or an artist, or any anyone who's creative and yeah, and uh, we need to pro- need to protect that. <laughs> uh, I I had one of the pre-publication copies, which the the cover that you see was reversed uh, opposite direction you mean no left the, to right? the outside left. cover that you see was the inside cover and the inside that you see was the outside cover oh and i loaned it to a friend to read and it never came home <laughs> <laughs> well that tends to happen when you lend out a paperback they never finish it or they yeah, have yeah. read half of it yeah. gladly uh though we we still have several of those. Well, hey, I don't want to take up too much of your time. We've we've been we've sure. been chatting for a long time, but uh, just look at what I have written here. Have you? I assume you've been coming to JordanCon every year. Were you uh, here the no, first year? No, yes, I was here for uh, JordanCon one and maybe up to four or five. Yeah, I missed a few years in the middle. Ah. Sort of like the books drug a little bit in the middle, <laughs> you know. I, or, or so I've heard from the fans. They did, they uh, did. Well, there was a reason. And uh, I've been to the last several. It's it's really turned into a large family reunion, if you will. You know, in this case, 800 of your closest friends, some of whom you've never met in your life. It's a funny thing. Seth and I started doing this podcast because we were really big fans of the series. And we had both read them several times, and we started just, well, long story short, we met in Portland, we became uh, like pretty close friends, and we started renting these old, I don't feel like this works, it works this way in a lot of other cities, but at least in, in Portland and some smaller cities, we would rent these big old Victorian houses together, and right. we could have all this space and rent this this big property and not pay too terribly much, and maybe rent a few of the extra rooms to other people. But we got to be able to chat for long periods of time, and we found our similar interests, and we just 
saw that there's like the more times you go through the series, the more things you can find, the more foreshadowings, the more like hidden meanings, the more I feel like the whole thing is just packed. Yeah. And uh, to address that for a second. Yeah. Jim would. Jim wrote what he needed to write to tell the story. Uh Uh-huh. And sometimes it was an infinite detail. And other times it was a large brush stroke. Yeah. And I've heard people ask him, when you did this, did this mean that or that or that? And he would say, yeah, that sounds about right. (laughs) Something something like that. Because it was, you know, that infinite detail wasn't relevant to the storyline for him. So he didn't didn't flesh, flesh it out completely. Yeah. I always felt that some sometimes some people have questions that are so specific that it's not too terribly surprising that some of these things may have been left ambiguous right. for you to think about. Well, he he or wanted for you, you as the reader I, to think about, I should say. Well, you, you you just hit on a key thing for Jim. He he didn't want to answer all the questions. He wanted sure. you, he wanted you to think. 20 or 25 years later or whenever the first book came out that all these people get together every year to talk about these things because there are things to talk about. Well, and, and, and he always told me, he said, when it, it, wasn't all when it ends, for them. when it ends, I won't tie up all of the lines that there are things that I will, I like, that. I will question, I will finish for people so they'll know how it ends, uh-huh. but there'll be many things that will be left untied for them to think on their own. I like it. And life is like that. Sure. Who knows why something There is no end to the wheel. Yeah. (laughs) There are no beginnings or endings. Exactly. To the journey of the wheel of time. Yeah. This has been fun. Yeah. I felt like that was very good. I feel like this is a good spot to to cut it off. Yeah. Is there anything you would like to add? A big thank you to all of you... Fans who oh. read his work and uh, and and appreciated what he did, but I wish again not for he never did this for enrichment, but you guys did make their lives easier because of it, and I thank you for that. I I wish that he and perhaps perhaps Harriet might understand, especially at. at this time but i i wish that they could understand how much it means to us like how much this means to us how much not just the stories the themes how much i i learned from that but how much this community means right. to all of us I'll, in parting then i'll share one one thing that I, a, a very poignant moment during this jordan con at the end of one of the sessions where the Team Jordan and I, the family, if you will, were talking with a small group about this, the kind uh-huh. of things that Jim, Jim is a person. Uh, and afterwards, a uh, young lady came to me and said, this means this, this series saved my life. And uh, I said, what do you mean? And she was a teenager very close to committing suicide. And had literally, nice. she said, I, I was in the kitchen. I picked up the knife. I was going to my bedroom to finish this. And the thing that stopped me was I was a fan of this. And I thought, 
I'll never know how it ends. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing. It's not funny. I know. That's it, Celso. It's <laughs> so it stopped her. <laughs> I went, wow. Jim saved a life. He didn't even know it. May have been more than that. Probably a few. And at least, at the very least, in Richmond. Yeah. And that's what I appreciate so much. Yeah. Do no harm. sleep basically and that's why the room is pretty dark i don't think anyone was even thinking about turning the lights on <laughs> no, this is great this is perfect we just got one lamp in the corner so you know i've seen people are starting to basically file out yeah but um that's kind of why i wanted to uh get the room and sunday midday this way we can kind of reflect and have something to talk about because if we had gotten this the first day it would have been like so we're here that's it <laughs> you had an interaction with Brandon <laughs> not really <laughs> he spoke at a general group that I was standing in but I chose to mention it earlier much cooler is at the Q&A with Brandon Sanderson I got to ask the question about Mistborn's coins and what's, what happens to all that money that they just fling around I think I was the only person that asked a not very serious question. He liked it, though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he went pretty deep into the economy of the ska. A little, he talked for a while. He did. He did. <laughs> he, did. he did. He talked for a while. He was like, he'd thought about it. Apparently, he said someone had asked him the same question in his writing group, like, really early on. Yeah. Back when he was first writing Mistborn. And so he had thought about the answer. He definitely thought about it. But he seemed to enjoy answering that question. He said it would be cheaper to use the clips than to buy pieces of metal. Scott, some ska has a lucky day, but the monetary value isn't worth it to someone to organize a group to track down all the various misborn and follow them for the coins. It's a two-parter. It's like, what happens to all the coins that misborn throw away and could ska conceivably make a living by following around mistings? <laughs> what was your favorite panel? I mean, probably the Brandon Sanderson Q&A was, was my favorite. I will say, you know, my my biggest problem with the Brandon Sanderson Q&A is that it happened at the same time as the Team Jordan Q&A, and I really wanted to go to both. That's understandable. But some of you guys went, right? Yeah. Talk a little bit about it. Yeah, so uh, uh, this is Jeff, just in case anyone's wondering. <laughs> Jeff Petrie. Yes, Petrie. Petrie. It's all good. Well, always get it. That reminds me of... Uh, the land before time. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so we, we went to the Team Jordan uh, panel. Robert Jordan's notes. Uh, I a lot of really good information that. on that. How was it? Uh, it was awesome. Uh, yeah. I think Kyle posted the notes that he took during the panel on the Discord, so those should be visible now. 
And I think, Jeff, you said you recorded it on your phone? I did, yeah. Yeah, so we're going to try and get that audio. Yeah, I, I want to get a hold of it. it if, even if it's not super great, I want to hear it. Just because I want to pretend I was there. Um, along with that, I also attended, the first thing I attended yesterday morning was the, I don't know how to pronounce it, Kathy Clutch. Kathy Clutch or something some, like that. Yeah. Kathy Clutch, yeah. Um, so that was a sit down with Harriet, uh, Rob Jordan's cousin, and the two editors. So just seeing they were all just talking stories about Jim in general. Uh, it wasn't about real time, just backstories for Robert Jordan. And that was just amazing to hear. That is really cool. I wish that's, I felt like so many things conflicted, like so many things I wanted to do. You have to either, you have to pick one or the other. Yeah. For the, for that sit down, someone on Reddit posted a long time ago that you had to sign up way in advance. But when I was looking for it Saturday morning, they registration didn't even know where the sign up sheet was. So they made a new one. And so I put my name down. I was first on the list 30 minutes before it started. <laughs> That's lucky. So it was great. Yeah, it worked out perfect for anyone thinking about next year listening to this. All right, Seth. My favorite. Thank you, Seth. <laughs> You're welcome, Seth. <laughs> Anytime, Seth. Uh, my favorite panel was probably the Sanderson one. And I got to ask a question by Radia, which I... When I actually just spoke to Brandon Sanderson about 10 minutes ago because yep. he was just out in the lobby. And I was like, sorry about the wheel of time question, man. And he's like, oh, no, it was great. I was, you know, like I was wondering when someone was going to ask one. So he was actually like really happy to answer it. Yeah. Which, you know, I felt kind of weird because everybody was, you know, asking questions about the Cosmere and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, he seemed to genuinely, you know, or, or was genuinely glad to answer a wheel of time question he talked for a while he did he did and you know that he really didn't give an answer but he gave insight into the writing process which was you know great for me because i love that kind of like down in and in the nuts and bolts of things i mean my favorite result from that is that he mentioned that he had a plan he was going to write in the sharns and that whole scene and we know that and that didn't get included he was also going to write in a scene where Perrin took the Ogier and cleansed the ways. And that was a piece of information that I didn't have before. Yeah. So that was an awesome result. I'm really glad you asked that oh, question. Oh, yeah. It, and it ended up really good. I felt really self-conscious because there was this huge, like, audible reaction because they're like, whoa, this is a massive change in direction. Well, everyone had been hitting them with Stormlight. Yeah. And it was just like, there was Stormlight, 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 a little bit of Mistborn, and then all of a sudden, you're like, Wheel of Time. And you could just see, it's not that he was upset but it was just like it was a different track than he was on and so it it sort of threw him to the different track and he had to stop for a minute and be like okay wait let me think about those books instead (laughs) for for a few minutes but yeah i mean he's his his answer was great and and your question was great radio and seth did a good job of asking it (laughs) and then also in the notes panel i got to ask about the eglad situation and (laughs) what i found out was I i think i posted this a little bit in the discord too is that it was uh, always intended for her to start out with a glad, uh, <laughs> Galad, Glad, however you pronounce it, and then uh, take a break with Gawain. And then in the notes, a pregnant Egwene was supposed to get like get back together with Galad after Gawain died, but uh, that changed in the writing. So it, it was intentional. The switch over to the brother. Wow, that's um, some serious drama. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, you know, like days of our life shit, right? <laughs>
Um, but that was very interesting to me, and I'm I'm kind of glad to get a little bit of insight into that because I know that's something that's been kind of running through the podcast. Yeah, we've been talking about eGlad. Is that where we're hashtag eGlad? No, I, I've really been happy that some of the the questions that two or three questions that we've had and brought up and sort of speculated about have gotten some answers. Yeah, I mean, this is that that alone was worth the trip. I think for me, totally. Um, and then of course meeting all you guys because like I just want to say like. We can talk about the panels, and we've definitely done that. I spent most of my time just hanging out with Wheel of Time fans, and that was awesome. That's really what makes it worth it. The panels are cool and all, and being able to ask Brandon Sanderson a question, obviously, but you know, I, there weren't that many opportunities that were super cool like that, the panels, but the just being here to socialize with a bunch of people who have read the Wheel of Time is probably my favorite part. Yeah, and just drinking and dancing and talking to people and making inside jokes about a book series that you can't make anywhere else in any other room. Like <laughs> this is really uh, my people, especially in this room, guys, you, you are all freaking awesome folks. We hung out pretty much all weekend with this group and you know, I can't say I've had a better time at a big event. I was really nervous about this event. I'm not a big, big event type person and you know, you guys made all the difference. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks all you guys for being here. What'd you guys do outside the panels? I want to hear about that. Matt here, I know, has been dominating the social scene, so... Hey guys, it's uh, Nuke. So, obviously, um, as you all know, I wore a blue blazer the entire time, and that afforded me just a really cheap hotel room. That was great. But my highlight was really the... Uh, I almost became a Blade Master. Unfortunately, the eventual <laughs> Blade Master guy, Cooper, nice guy, bad sword guy. But that was my highlight. I almost won on my first try. I was going to be, you know the land of the podcast. Unfortunately, I had to convert back to new. I saw you you won two two rounds pretty good. I watched that. That was I, it was impressive. And I got then, to the and then you got beat out by the guy who won, you know? I know. You can't you can't say like, "Hey, I got beat by the guy who won." That's that's exactly. that's, that's pride. Mhm. And then the social scene, you know, I was floating around for a while and got to meet all these guys, got to meet the wider Will the Time community, so that was really really awesome. And you know, I can't wait till next year. All you guys are going to be here. It's going to be, you know, a really wonderful time. So that's all I have. Yeah, I mean, I think this is, I mean, I hope this is the start of a tradition that grows. I'd love to see you guys next year, and I'd love to have more people show up. Like, I think that this core group is awesome, and the more people who can be here, the happier I'm going to be. I wonder how many people came to JordanCon this year. Does anyone, did anyone hear? Do we have a total number? Over a thousand. Wow. Oh, well, I'm sure people are showing up for the signing. Oh, for those, for audio-only folks. We're hearing it was over a thousand. You probably can't hear that in the microphone. <laughs> it's uh, leftover fried chicken and black coffee. That's what I'm having right now. <laughs> so, cough and chicken. Yeah, there was this really cool thing that I wasn't that I wasn't expecting. It's called Con Suite, which is basically just a room with food in it, and at any time you can kind of wander in and find snacks. They did a great job. They had uh, these massive hot dogs last night. I heard paid for ago. food like once all weekend, I think. Yeah. And that I was not necessary. And then fried chicken and this morning was bagels. They've got coffee there. I mean, it's been, you know, it's great that, that we've got a bunch of people here, a lot of whom are drinking and there's just free food to, to keep them from. <laughs> I think that made a big difference for the quality of the party is just like anyone can get food at any time. Pizza, hot dogs, fried chicken, coffee. Yep. <laughs> Um, so, you know, don't, don't pass up the con suite when you get here. Definitely find it, check it out. Um, 
there was some really cool just room parties at night that I ended up in, just having a blast. Like, yeah, we got a bunch of interviews last night. We did. I want to. So we drunkenly interviewed Jason Denzel. We dragged him away from a party for a little while. Totally. <laughs> him and, oh, God, who who was with him? I forgot the guy's name, but apparently they had worked together on a couple of things. He seems to be fake. more on the TV side of things. I talked to him a little bit this morning. He's a screenwriter. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so he's, uh, I was actually talking to him. He's like, I got to go. I'm, I'm writing something for Sony that they want right away. I don't, I don't think it's related to Wheel Time at all, but it's like a side project for him. Let's so. believe that it is. Yeah. <laughs> this morning. This morning, he's like, oh, I gotta, because I, I ran into him at the. Uh, I was like, thanks for the interview. He's like, what interview? And I was like, yeah. like dude, you were really drunk last night. <laughs> There's still nothing moving right now with regard to the uh, TV show. So that post on Facebook this morning was based on a Harriet answer from yesterday in Team Jordan, which I was there for, and that was basically her confirming it's not going to be a uh, traditional network. It's going to be a streaming platform she did not specify amazon that's what the rumor is and she said if does when it does get the green light it's guaranteed for a whole season not just one episode Mm. and she couldn't say anything else she yeah she uh, it wasn't clear if she knew but wasn't allowed to say legally or if she really didn't know uh, when when we were talking with Jason Denzel, he seemed to say you know we, we basically tried to pin him down on like what's the earliest it could possibly come out and he seemed to say, basically, if it gets the green light, it could be out by 2019. But it could not get the green light for years and years and years because there's so much work. You know, basically, what he was saying is Hollywood has the mechanisms to do it quickly, but until they make that decision, there, no one really knows when it's going to be available. Sort of that's my summary of what he was trying to say, I think. I am hopeful that it sounds like. You know, there were rumors before, but with you, you kind of confirmed it, or what Harriet said kind of confirmed it a little that I guess it's encouraging that the Wheel of Time might go to a streaming service because they're newer. They're not a net- network TV. They don't have advertisers to worry about. They're creative, and networks like Amazon and Netflix and Hulu have come out with some really good, like probably the best TV that's come out in the last five years came from them. One of those three. Definitely. Definitely. And I mean, we all... We all know that Game of HBO's, Thrones, yeah, yeah, the the prototypical uh, investment that we're all hoping for in a Wheel of Time series. HBO, we could we could throw that into streaming services. Sure, yeah, no, but I I do think that uh, Amazon's our best candidate at this point, just based on the rumors and stuff like that. When we find out, we'll find out. No, that's and great. we didn't find out this weekend. I hope they feel left out. I don't think Amazon has a fantasy show, so hopefully they dump a ton of money into it to compete. They bought <laughs> they bought the Lord of the Rings for five seasons. Oh, really? Oh, the Lord of the Rings show. I yeah. keep forgetting that that's a thing. I'm not looking forward to the Lord of the Rings show. I'm not a Lord of the Rings person. Yeah. I bring this up all the time. Julia is. My girlfriend Julia is. But like, I, I, don't, I still haven't. She read The Eye of the World, and I still haven't read lord of the rings i don't know if you guys remember but a long time ago we like i told her that if she reads the wheel of time i'll totally read the lord of the rings and cimmerillion because it's only fair that's only like that's that's only like 900 pages guys <laughs> <laughs> well yeah you've got some reading to do patrick yeah i haven't uh, i haven't picked it up at all i i, I have to get on that because you've got are you done with mistborn yet no almost i'm like most of the way through hero of ages and hopefully i'll have enough juice on the plane to crank all the way through secret history yeah yeah that won't take too long 
And then you've got to read Broken Earth. Oh, geez, yeah. Well, there's a bunch of stuff. And then you've got to read Wax and Wayne. I'm going to go straight to Wax and Wayne after I finish Secret History. So in that's, like that's a good idea. couple days, I'll be doing that. And then so we want to start the podcast as soon as possible. Yeah, I mean, our goal is to get back from Jordan Con and hopefully record an episode, you know, start doing episode one. Oh, but uh, for anyone who's interested, we recorded the entire Q&A with Brandon Sanderson. I just walked up to his people, I'm air quoting, or you know, whatever that means, the people that kind of hover around him, and asked if we could like set our microphones near all the other microphones. I'm sure there are a lot of people who are recording, but we have all of that, and I figure if we, you just clean it up a little bit, I'll just release, we can just release the whole uncut thing yeah, the, I'll, on I'll, the Mistborn feed. Just I'll turn the beginning and end. Kill some noise, and then... Uh, Here's Brandon Sanderson talking for an hour and a half. If I were one of our listeners, I would listen to that just because it's Brandon Sanderson talking. It doesn't even really matter what he says. <laughs> we're trying to bring the, the, the Jordan Con experience out to folks who couldn't make it as much as possible. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. And so any recording that we can put out there that makes them feel like they were sitting in the room. I think we did a pretty good job with pictures and just like chatting in Discord. I noticed some people talking about it in the Watt subreddit. Nice. In the, our Discord chat? Yeah. Nice. Someone linked to it. Oh, I had no idea. That's awesome. fantastic. <laughs> no, and you guys did a great job of like keeping content in there. Like It wasn't just me and Patrick doing it. It was all of you guys taking selfies and, and, and talking about what you were up to. So, Guys in the chat, do you have any questions? From the internet? What do we say next? I don't know. The mail dome on? Yeah. I do be pretty good. <laughs> Mother's milk in a cup. It's hard to talk in the accent all weekend. You like my duster? I love my duster. I wear that thing all the time. Well, in Portland, it rains, and that thing is actually practical. It's kind of a funny sentence. <laughs> <laughs> in Portland, it rains. I mean, that's just that's the truth. It's a, it's a fact. And so that thing is great for just throwing on over whatever I'm wearing. And it's just basically like an overcoat. It was perfect for the Bale Doman. Cause it was, it's uh, oil cloth, which is exactly what a sailor would wear. And then you combine that with the beard. And, you know, it was a low effort cosplay, but I was pretty happy with it. Bambi's asking about your aged grandma. <laughs> Left her on shore. My, my aged grandmother. <laughs> doobie. I, yeah, it's accents may not be my wheelhouse. I'm excited to come back next year. This was our first year, so we we have no idea what to expect. No, and we didn't we didn't know what the situation was like. We didn't know the people. I mean, we're not even this is not even just like our first Jordan Con. It's like one of our first cons. Yeah. Christine said, "I yes, Brandon Sanderson is really that tall." I stood right next to him in an elevator. I think Seth was kind of prompting me to tell this story earlier, but it's not really a story. He's like a good. He's probably like a head taller than me, and I'm five nine, five ten ish. So he's got to he's got to be like six three six four. I looked him straight in the nipple, and, <laughs> and I was standing there with a cup of black coffee and a plate piled high with leftover fried chicken. And Brandon Sanderson gets on the elevator, and I like we kind of made eye contact, and he looked at me, and he was like, "Con Suite has fried chicken, huh?" And I was like, huh, "Yeah," and that that was it. That's supposed. <laughs> oh, the interaction with Brandon. I avoided him, actually, all weekend. It's hard to be in the right headspace. I feel like, I definitely feel slightly intimidated. Slightly is an understatement. Even though he's like, he's the nerdiest guy ever. He's super approachable. Yeah. And like, I've, I've told this story, but when I got my book signed, I just, I 
panic attacked and broke out in a cold sweat and like and he just calmed me down he's like eh, talk to me and he was just the nicest person in the world that probably um, happens to him all the time i'm sure nervous nerds approaching him yeah no never emerge from the basement to go to the book signing <laughs> But, you know, I feel like there's only really two conversations I can have with them. Either I love you and I want to have your babies or like, what are you doing next? And he can't tell me that. So babies it is. Um, so I, I've, I've always wondered how like he squares, you know, some of his religion stuff with his writing. And uh, he he said, I'd, I actually really like talking about that stuff. You know, but no one ever asks, you know. And I was like, well, I'm asking. I asked if he gets pushback from his community because he's a Mormon. And he's like, no, because it's it's a different world. You know, he's I, he said he gets very little pushback at all. And that kind of really made me happy because I was, you know, reading his stuff. You know, like he writes about God with a capital G. And that could be um, kind of a weird thing for religious people to deal with. I always wondered how he kind of reconciled that. I did too, but he's like, it's not the same world. It's not the same universe. So it's not his God. You know, it's just a God. Sure. I'm always curious just how much of his religion. I mean, I understand that like he doesn't get pushed back on Mormonism, but clearly he has a religious background and there's no doubt that religion is a, is a subject that he tackles, especially in the Mistborn series um, with Sezed, his, his uh, religious questioning. And I just wonder how much of his own journey and spiritual questioning is reflected in that journey because um, i know he said says that is one of his favorite characters you know he really really loves him i see a little bit of brandon's own spiritual questing in that character and where he tries to find the value of religion not just in an individual religion doesn't dismiss them because of their contradictions but finds the information in them when you put them all together valuable and the lessons they teach um, and the way they preserve things I just would add that also Dalinar, I mean, Dalinar, you know, his unwavering willing, you know, not willingness, but his unwavering code that he used throughout the series is probably, is probably another thing that you definitely, uh, you can, you can prescribe to probably his religion or. I like that. I mean, I know he, he talks about Dalinar as sort of, uh, the key, uh, character in the Stormlight Archive. Like that really is, I think the person who he wanted to tell Dalinar's story first. Yeah. And that's where the, the Stormlight Archive comes from. And then all the other characters grew up around it. But I have the feeling that, like Dal like Sezed, like Dalinar, I think, like you said, those two characters are uh, some of his keystone characters that the series are based around. That He wanted to tell the story of Harmony, and that's why he told the Mistborn series. And he wants to tell the story of Dalinar, and that's why he's going to Stormlight. Wow, is that where he started? With Ruin and Preservation becoming Harmony? And then build it back from there? You know, just the way he talks, he often, you know, he, he talked a lot about working backwards. Yeah. That he has he a story he wants to tell, and he brings up his, he forms a system and sort of makes excuses for why he, the character does what it does. Yeah. <laughs> just like he said, basically, he has the, has his ending in mind, and he, everything else is just justifies it. Absolutely. And he, building it backward. And he sort of talked about the difference between fantasy and sci-fi, that sci-fi is often built up from the technology and the story is the result of that buildup, whereas fantasy is sort of the opposite, that you tell the story that you need to and sort of are able to occasionally just say magic. <laughs> <laughs> and then <laughs> and, something magic happens. And, so, and magic <laughs> happens. And, you know, so he, things like he talked about the fact that in Shadesmar there's air. 
And like that doesn't really fit in with the Cosmere, but magic. Just because he wants <laughs> it to be a place that people can travel without taking really careful special measures. And so he just said, yeah, there's air. Same thing with the speed bubbles in Wax and Wayne, which he said basically, if you slow down time that much, all the light coming out of your speed bubble is going to redshift into deadly radiation and kill everybody around you. He's like, I just don't have a solution for that. So I just said it doesn't happen. (laughs) Magic. And so he has a few things like that where he's able to just uh, skip over. He tries to keep things close to the science, but he likes to skip over some of the details just to make the story work. And I think that's that's what makes fantasy different from sci-fi. But wouldn't you say that technology and magic are just two sides of the same coin? Like, I mean, there's not much different between technology that's, you know, out of this world, you can travel at light speed versus a fantastical sword that can talk. And technology can look like magic. I think about this a lot when I think about the Dune series, and which is always classed as sci-fi, but it's really, there's a lot of fantasy elements. I don't know if most of you guys have probably read it. I, th- I think it's the, the dumb classification of sci-fi is if there's spaceships, it's sci-fi, and if there's not, it's fantasy. <laughs> um, and that's pretty much not accurate. In yeah, any right. If there were no spaceships in Dune, if it all just happened on Arrakis and nobody ever left, would it be fantasy then? Yes. Yes, it would be. <laughs> And the spice is magic, you know, like there's no doubt about that. Yeah. I mean, I always, I kind of liked it. I always think of it as a a drug. It's like a narcotic. Yeah. It's a magic narcotic drug. (laughs) Magic narcotics. We were just talking about, what was the, um, the one where they sniff gunpowder? The Powder Mage series is basically like, you know, cocaine is magic. Oh, another like side bonus to coming to the con. I've got, I've collected like three different books. I have a couple of hardbacks that were just, people were just giving away. Yeah. Yeah, I only got one book. I got, well, I got the one at sign up, and then while I was volunteering for a while. I got the Mystic Prologue that was out there by Jason Denzel. Oh, I didn't get that either. I would, I've been meaning to read his stuff. We've talked to him a couple of times now. We really should read his stuff. He's a really nice guy. He should probably cosplay as Seizad, by the way. I had that thought several times this weekend. Yes. Oh, he would make a great Seizet. He would. But as I've said it before, but Jason really is one of the founding members members of the podcast. Uh, founding is the wrong word, but... Members of the fan community? He retweeted us early, and that got us out there. And I think... And then he's retweeted us again later, and that got us bigger. So, you know, our yeah. two biggest spikes in downloads are 100% because of Jason. You know, I'm sure a lot of people found us in other ways, but I know a lot of people found us through him. We've been having a lot of social media activity. I'm sure part of it's just because this weekend's Jordan Con, but uh, Dragon Mount also put us on their main page, their front page. Oh, yeah. Right so we, we did here. this interview with Dragon Mount, and the questions were written by Ebony and posted by Marissa. And I got to meet both of them this weekend, and they are just lovely, lovely people. I spent a long time talking to um, Ebony the other night, and she just. She came up with some great questions that we really enjoyed answering, and she's clearly a big fan of the series, clearly knows it backwards and forwards, like a great person. And then uh, Marissa, I think, joined the chat, so she's hanging out and talking to us, and she's, you know, you'll if you go on dragonmount.com, her picture is everywhere. She's the one posting everything, so. Oh, yeah. We're sitting around chatting for a while last night. Yeah. Marissa. shoving cake in my face. She has a couple of different names, because <laughs> she has her, her Aes Sedai name, and then she's got a, right, she has a screen name, uh, or a writer's name. Apparently she writes erotic uh, fiction. <laughs> she gay was erotic joking fiction. about that a lot. Yeah, which is <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. The erotic fiction is not necessarily an obvious <laughs> place to go. But at the same time, 
it doesn't surprise me that the people here are into erotic fiction a little bit. Like that seems to be for any kind of fiction. I yeah, mean... yeah. I mean, it's just it's another genre of fiction. Avienda <laughs> I, I... and Rand. There's there's some pretty racy fan art out there. A, a more how do you think the body swap happened with Morden and Rand? I think that could be uh, rewritten as a Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, body swap, fluid swap, whatever. Uh... <laughs> Uh, any other cool interactions you got? Did you talk to anybody else? Hmm. Uh, did we? I think we mentioned we got to interview Robert Jordan's brother. Yeah, brother, brother cousin. cousin. Yeah, Wilson. That's his name. Right? So that was pretty cool. I just we didn't talk about the books almost at all. You guys uh, talked about Robert Jordan a lot. Yeah, Jim. just his life, and he talked a lot about war experience and how that affected. We talked a lot about his war experience and how that probably affected the characters that he wrote. And just him as a person. Um, I, I actually haven't heard the second half of that yet because I wandered, I wandered oh, yeah. off in the middle of it and I haven't had a chance to listen to it. It was also two o'clock in the morning and I was like drinking a solo cup of red wine. Um, so we'll, I, I, I only kind of remember it. So we'll hopefully it turns, turns so, out pretty well. So at this point, we have an interview that none of us know what's in it. <laughs> um, so hopefully you guys will see that eventually. But, I mean, he is the nicest man. He is clearly just delighted to be here. He loves to talk to people about Jim. And, you know, he comes from a humble background, and he just seems to be – he's very proud of what I think this con is. Yeah. I could just see that in his demeanor, that he was just very proud of what was going on. Proud of his brother. Proud of Harriet. Proud of everything. And also, he seems to be having a blast. I mean, <laughs> he was totally just like sitting on the side of the dance floor, watching everything going on. He, I mean, he came up to me and he was like, "Hey, you, uh, you mentioned that interview. Do you want to do that now?" I was like, "It's two a.m." He's like, "Yeah." I was like, "All right, let's go." <laughs> and then I had to track down Patrick, and I called him like six times in a panic because I couldn't find him. Oh, you did? Yeah, I think I was like right there, wasn't I? Yeah, you were like in the you were like in the table behind me. I, oh. It wasn't like <laughs> it was just uh, a party, and it's very hard to find people sometimes. No, you guys totally like waved at me and I walked right by. Here's a highlight. When the con ends, we have one more night in the hotel. So tomorrow we can maybe, and we don't leave till the evening. We can just wander around Atlanta if we want or do nothing. That's yeah. all would also be cool. I mean, cool. my plan is basically to sleep in as late as possible until we have to go. Cool, and then cool. I'm going to uh, probably eat something and then <laughs> hopefully make it to the airport. It sounds like a plan. Yeah. Sleep had to be very carefully scheduled this weekend between our red eye flight and all the various parties and all the the events I wanted to go to. I definitely missed a few because I overslept, but I think the planning was worth it because I got to go to most of what I wanted to see. Yeah. Like, there's so much going on. And a lot of it's going to be unexpected. So it's like, I what I did is basically I had something I wanted to do when I had nothing else to do. Gotcha. If that makes sense. Yeah. I feel like. I mean, doing podcast stuff was the real highlight, and just meeting everyone. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it was a little bit of a working vacation for us, but, I mean, the work is fantastic. I mean, this this isn't work. Not really. Yeah. <laughs> Would anyone sitting here like to say anything at all about the con, or really anything at all? I'm writing dinosaur erotica on <laughs> the Discord channel right now. <laughs> Discord went down a rabbit hole with that one. I'm sure rule, what is it, rule 34 and all? Oh, uh, no. It's out there. So I've introduced the uh, Discord <laughs> channel to uh, really hot T-Rex and Raptor erotic. If anybody wants to take a dive into that. Um, Specific that sounds yeah, dangerous. Very dangerous. They're dinosaurs. I'm not even going to Google that, I'm afraid. 
Sanderson we love, but we don't like, I don't, I don't know. The he, feel, real, he feels more like a peer. Yeah. He feels like one of us, both because he's our age and just the he way he talks. He is one of us. Yeah. Uh, he's a fan of the Wheel of Time and has yeah. been forever. Um, he's one of the fans. And then, but Harriet is sort of like the editor, the god of the Wheel of Time for me. <laughs> and hearing her read that opening paragraph definitely gave me chills. If Robert Jordan is loyal, then who's Harriet? Cod Swain. Cod Swain. <laughs> She's all the, the, uh, the, the women, basically. At least the strong, important ones. Soralea. She was always one of my favorites, but people, we don't talk about her too much. Well, we haven't gotten to her yet. That's true. We'll we we're there. not in the waste. I'm excited to get there. Book four. Oh, I can't wait for book four. As I say, as we start book three, I do that every time. Like on book two, I was like, I can't wait to get to book three. On book three, I'm like, I can't wait to get to book four. <laughs> Did you have issues with pronunciation here? Like actually talking to people? Uh, there was definitely debates about how a particular word was pronounced. I think that people were... Not debates is the wrong term, but someone would throw something out there and like, wait, you mean, let's say aisle, you mean aisle? Yeah. Okay. And like, we just, no one, no one's arguing about it. It's just like, we all have our own way of pronouncing it. And sometimes you need to clarify because you're not sure exactly which word they're talking about. Oh, one of my favorite things we did, a at one of the parties, they did a spelling bee. Trying to get people to spell Murdral and Alanine and Teleron Riyadh and Alvandadora. I am amazed that in a room full of 50 people who love the Wheel of Time, like almost nobody, nobody could spell. But nobody could spell it. Who can spell a Vendeladora off the top of your... There's, where's the apostrophe? That's the real question. <laughs> Didn't go to any of the trivia events. I wanted to go to those. Did anyone make it to that? No. I went to the group trivia event, and it was hard. It was, the easiest question was the final answer question, which was everyone doubled or not. Well, one group bet none of their points, but they still ended in the last place. And then every other group bet all their points. And the question was how many floors were there at the place in Ebudar? And the answer was six. So that was the that was the question. That at was one the, of the inns, yeah, where, where the bowl of the wind, where the bowl of the winds was. Oh, that was the and that was the final Jeopardy question. Because there's the whole argument: is it five? Is it six or seven? Is it six yeah. or seven or five or six? Or five or six. Sorry, but that was the easiest question. <laughs> Everything else, it was that's really obscure. It's I like would, who was the other know. boy who was given a coin by Moraine but didn't go on the journey? Oh yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know any of these questions. <laughs> yeah. So there were some very out there questions. Oh, it was it was fun. Uh, my group finished like fifth out of there was like nine teams I think. So yeah, each team was five or six people. So it was a good turnout. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the one of the biggest unanswered questions is the pipe. What's what's going on there? Yeah. And when I sat down in the uh, coffee clutch thing, the um, Maria, one of the editors, mentioned that. They were all asking, like, they all wanted to ask Jim, what's the deal behind the pipe? So I thought it was a whole, they know what the deal is, but they won't tell us the fans. It's one of the things that, we're not like, they want to keep it a mystery. But it's, in reality, they didn't even know what the what it was, what's the reasoning behind the pipe, what's going on. So I thought that was, to be able to hear that in person, it was awesome. Nobody knows? Yeah, like, they, they're like, we don't know what the deal is with the pipe. It's one of the questions we wish we asked him during, during his Jim's final weeks. Hmm. Does Harriet know? Harriet was in the room when Maria was saying that all, they, none they of us. Know. That's one thing that all of us wish we asked him that we 
we didn't and then we we're all left wondering and she was nodding along when she was saying this wow harriet was nodding along so that leads me to believe that it's just something that no one knows and so it's not like they're keeping it from us Robert Jordan definitely kept the secrets, much like an Aes Sedai. Uh, I think Wilson said at one point, uh, Robert Jordan sat him down and said, before the last book had come out, and said, there's a village in the waste, or in the in the blight, and nobody knows about it, not even Harriet. You know, Robert Jordan, he, he kept the secrets really well, and we're all left wondering. That's definitely true, and for for a lot of it, I would agree with you on that, but there's one or two elements that I think he deliberately kept secret because he wanted to be mysterious. I mean, you can't see that guy, the, the recordings of him giving that little smile and laughing at people when he raffos them. Like, he loves to raffo people. He loves to leave them wondering, and, like, you know a couple of those mysteries were in there deliberately just to drive us absolutely nuts off the wall. There's tons of stuff that is unfinished and unpublished, and if you look back at the notes... He contradicts himself all the time because he was making notes. He wasn't writing the story. So some of that's mysterious just from obstification. But the pipe lighting, I think that's a deliberate mystery that he left for us to like wander about and debate about. The one thing that I found kind of interesting talking to Harriet was she talked about how in the original story, Robert Jordan had wanted, he had one character and one boy that went on this journey, but then the character got so extensive that he actually had it into four boys. So if you look at the characters on the Eye of the World, there's actually four boys. And I was always like, who's the other boy that was in the Eye of the World? And so, so then when the trivia question, who is the other boy that got a coin that didn't go on the adventure, apparently it was Harriet's editing that was like three's enough. <laughs> so I found that to be kind of interesting when you look at the artwork on um, Wheel of Time and in the Eye of the World, there's four boys on the cover and how only three actually went on the adventure. But she said she had to submit the artwork before the book was completed and before she had edited it. So I thought that, that was kind of an interesting, nerdy, fun fact. Doesn't the fourth boy kind of look like Nicolas Cage on the cover? I think so. <laughs> Another trivia question. One of the questions, and I don't remember the answer right now, but it was, where was the town where the inn, easing the badger, was located? I think Ilian was the answer, but I thought we had to get more specific than that. Fair enough. And so I thought it was a specific town like in town? Area, yeah, 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 but everyone put Ilian and... I think everyone got it right. Okay. So. Oh, here was the hardest question that everyone got wrong except for one group. What was the playing card that attacked Matt during the bubble of evil? Wasn't there a couple? So Rand was attacked by the mirrors. Perrin yeah. was attacked by the axe. It was the Amarlin Seed that stabbed him. Everyone put down the Amarlin, but that wasn't enough of an answer. So everyone got it wrong except for one group. Protector of the Flames was the... That's the card. The name yeah, of the, the card. name of the card. Yeah. Or Watcher of the Flames. Watcher. Yeah. So I just looked that up. The, easing the Badger does come up in The Dragon Reborn, but it is it is an alien. I th- it must be one of Doman chapters. All right, I got both mics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, because Easing the Badger is totally an expression that they use, and then there's... It's where... Um, an inn named after it. Yeah, I think... I always assumed it was like a some kind of... Deviant sexual act? Yes. <laughs> yeah. There was a great uh, cosplay of, of Matt, and he had... Uh, this is actually um, the Twatcast guys. Yeah. And the one guy dressed up as Matt. The and Twatcast. Twatcast. <laughs> and uh, 
he had, I, I assume his girlfriend, another girl, uh, dressed up as badgers following him around. And they were all like being weird and like pawing at people. It was really funny. Oh, and the badger out of the bag. Oh, is this your erotic lit nuke? Um, I was just doing um, erotic Galena and Bella. <laughs> erotic Galena and Bella crossover. Yeah. So I'm just. Uh... I no, I'm not gonna read that out loud. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. Have we have we ever solved the Naomi question? Or has anyone asked that, and has that come up? Nakomi? Nakomi. Naomi, Nakomi. Same yeah. thing. Yeah, when I say there's, I was looking for the second thing that was, like, deliberately not obvious, uh, and the pipe was one, and then Nakomi, I think, is the other, That the deliberate mysteries that he's left in there. No questions about Nakomi. I didn't hear, I don't remember seeing any questions about Nakomi in any of the rooms I was in. I feel like people have just been like, yeah, he, because the question has been a- asked so many times. We know the answer, which is, I don't know. Yeah. And no yeah. one's we're like, yeah, OK, we're not going to get anything new out of them. The answer so, is stop asking. Yeah. That's why I well, one of the reasons I was really happy to af- ask the silly coin question to Brandon, because a lot of a lot of people were asking like serious questions about the mix of investiture. Yeah. Like how the magic systems work and and things like that so, and so it, was, it was cool to make everyone laugh and also to ask him something that he would answer like i knew he wasn't gonna raffo what happens to the coins that the mistborn are throwing around no no <laughs> no the, the raffo is interesting because you can people like to skirt the edge right they want to find out new information sure sure but they don't want to necessarily get raffoed and so there's these like really carefully worded questions and <laughs> there, there was one he refused to answer because he was like um that just by answering that question, I'm giving away like three things because you pre-propose like two or three things uh, just by asking the question. And if I answer it yes or no, I'm confirming the, like those things that were up the line. And so, uh, Raffo, you know, and yeah, he did, did a couple of those. There were people who had clearly like written questions and they like they were holding their piece of paper when they. Yeah. Oh, read and find out. It was a, a favorite Jordan saying when people would ask him questions that he didn't want to answer. And it sort of, I guess, stuck. Is that did that come from Robert Jordan? I, I'm pretty sure, yeah. It came from people asking questions. The first time I ever heard it was, or heard it, uh, I was read it and in just interviews with Robert Jordan. Raffo. What happens to all the Quendiar as the wheel turns? I mean, clearly a lot of it gets lost. Bottom of the sea is a good place for a lot of Quendiar. Probably buried in the stratus of the, the planet over time. You dig down, you can find some Quendiar. It's just there forever. It's just there forever. <laughs> but we do see Quendiar breaking down from the true power. So, you know, it is possible to use the true power to destroy it. And so it, it it's probably lasting forever, but, you know, I have to wonder if maybe at some point... I mean, the, the Quendiar made of Quendiar. Yep. Well, that's always, you know, the two things made out of Quendiar we see destroyed are the seven seals and the sad bracelets. And those are both destroyed with the true power. Yeah. So the dark one is good for something. Recycling. <laughs> the recycling. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. More and more stuff turns to Quendiar and you less and less material. Uh, so I guess my point is plastic is at least a little bit recyclable, unlike Quendiar, which there's no process to break that down and reuse it into something else. It's just Quendiar. You need the true power. I wonder if there's like a floating Quendiar island in the middle of the ocean. Like we have a floating plastic island in the middle of the ocean. I would think Quendiar would sink. It really would. (laughs) 
Yeah, Quendiar is an uh, it breaks a lot of rules because when you have something that can take any amount of force, if you started making a machine with that, oh man, you could do all sorts of cool things. Like if you made a steam engine or an engine out of Quendiar. Quendiar pistons. Quendiar pistons, you could just have like incredibly powerful like there's no limit on how how powerful the explosions could be inside of there and you could drive all sorts of machines with that sort of thing. I wonder if that's why Quindiar isn't discovered till later, because it would just be too difficult to <laughs> to deal with, right? Everyone would just get Quindiar armor, and then right the story's over. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's tough to make. It, Egwene definitely has a talent for it that a lot of the other people don't um, with the chain. But yeah, I, I'm sort of imagining a factory right now with a bunch of Aes Sedai like turning little parts into Quindiar, and then going to the next one. All right, yeah, thanks, guys, for hanging out. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Wheel of Time Spoilers podcast. Rate us in the Apple Podcast app or support us on Patreon. Is that good enough? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.